So, Bo, we're about a month outside of April 15th, which everybody knows is just a great time of the year and the fact that we're all done with our taxes, or at least we've extended them and we can put them out of mind. But now that you have completed your taxes, are you done? Or should you use those tax returns as a transparent window into your financial life? All that and more, guys. We're going to tell you how we can prepare for next year as well as to find savings opportunities just by using that annoying tool, which is your annual 1040 tax return. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, Bo, I think I'm two for two on um, no. most recent <laughs> intros, just completely blowing this thing out of the water. Let me let me get it back on track. I've got it. We did the last podcast on the Purple Rain estate plan where we talked about Prince. And, you know, one of the things I talked about with Prince was I was very upset that he didn't for a man that was so gifted at genius level, so right. sophisticated with the way he structured his business dealings and other things. I felt like it was a waste to society that the legacy, uh, the income that his his estate was going to generate was lost for future. Meaning that, you know, whatever his favorite charities, whatever his church, you know, he could have really created something that could have been perpetually funded, and now that's gone. Um, so I thought others would probably have that same thought, especially within the whole celebrity universe. Sure, you would think. Not the case. Um, Carter, who works with us, he, um, he reads everything, by the way. Oh, yeah. the, the dude reads Way more than any of us. Oh, without but, a doubt. But here's what Carter found. He sent me over, was it a Business Insider article? Carter sent me a Business Insider article that Snoop Dogg. Oh, Snoop Snoop. You know, Snoop, who I don't consider as sophisticated as Prince. He um he also doesn't see the need in having an estate plan because, he you know, he basically said, what do I care if my family has to fight over it? I'm not here anymore. If anything, maybe I'll get to come back as a butterfly <laughs> and get to, to, to experience this. And by the way, he said this in much more colorful language yeah. that we can't even, that's why we're not reading quotes, by the way, is because, um, I don't know if we, it would sound like we were doing Morse code. We'd have to put the E on our, uh, you know, for explicit lyrics yeah, on no our kidding. podcast at that point. So, but so uh, Snoop obviously, uh, didn't take it to heed, but, I, but here's what is really interesting. And this has happened a lot for us over the past few weeks. And, uh, we just want to take a second to thank you guys, the listeners. I don't know if you know, but the the greatest compliment that we get is that you guys write us and interact with us, and we get to have a relationship with you, and that's so cool. And, and then it even sometimes goes a step beyond that, where you send us an email saying, hey, I, I, you know, I hear you guys talk about going to the next level. Maybe I could, you would consider work with me. Can we have a conversation? And that that just puts us to the moon that we get to not only do this podcast, but we also get to work with some of you guys professionally. But something has happened over the past few months. And Brian, I think the estate planning episode, this even happened a little bit over the past few weeks. Not only is it a huge compliment that you guys just listen and give us feedback on iTunes or write us emails, and then not only do we even get to connect with you and, and work with you as clients, it is so amazing. We've had a number of you guys reaching out saying, hey, I listen to your show. I love your show. I know that my parents are going through That's this true. estate planning stuff, or I know that they're getting ready for retirement or RMDs are coming. Would you guys consider talking to our parents? So not not only do you guys think highly enough so that you'd let us talk to you, 
But you think highly enough to introduce us to your folks, and that is just you. You can't fathom how much that means to us. Yeah, I mean, we, we're kind of in the last few weeks. We've got clients that we're meeting with that when we talk to them about virtual meetings, we're completely educating them on the whole way it's this whole, whole process works. So it's it's pretty cool that the world is a much smaller place, and and that probably is a great lead in, Bo. Yo, go check us out, moneyguy.com. I will tell you, we are this close. I'm scared to even mention it. We have a new we have a new website that's going to be coming out anytime now. Did you just do the this close with your fingers on an audio podcast? Is that what just I happened? Did. Okay. So they have no idea if I did this, this. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But we're close to trying to get a new website out. We're, we're going through the review process right now. But with us, who knows how long close comes. But moneyguy.com, go check it out. You can also figure out all the ways you can connect with us through all the other social media platforms that we're on. But what I want to talk about now is taxes are done. Now what? And, and most people don't realize this. When I, I especially, I've unfortunately dealt with families where you will have somebody pass away or there will be a divorce or, or uh, you know, even people who are pondering divorce and they'll say, what documents do I need after this person passes away? Or they're thinking about divorce and they say, what document do I need to kind of figure out, get a, a you know, my husband handled the finances or my wife handled the finances. I want to know where things lie. I always say, bring me last year's tax return. Yeah. If you can bring me last year's tax return, it is like playing a game of Clue, except I've essentially got a, a map to where the the candlestick and Mr. Mustard is or, or something like that. Because it, really, your your tax return is going to tell me a lot about your financial life. It is the window into all the decisions you have going on. So I want to talk about, if that's the case, how do you, if you're not a CPA, because I, I like to flex on mm-hmm. my, my public accounting background, how can I give you guys the tool set to do this for yourself? So what we're going to be covering today is looking for tax savings opportunities. We're going to be looking for, I have to flip the page, we're looking for ways to take as many deductions as possible. And then, uh, you know, it, it also flows through to your open enrollment. You're going to come through with your employer and your benefits. You want to know what opportunities lie there from a tax saving standpoint. And then lastly, we close out the show talking about, does this fit into your vision plan for life? I mean, you can look at your tax return and think about, does this fit overall with where I want to be in my career, where I want to be financially, and and you can kind of bring it all together to create a better financial plan. Oh, but Brian, so hold on, let me make sure I'm getting this right, because I'm not a CPA, I'm just a regular warm-blooded American, uh, and I think about taxes on April 1st, because I know I had to get them done by April 15th, you're telling me that even though taxes are done, and I should have my not have to think about it again for a year... I can actually add value to my life by looking at the return that I just had completed. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because uh, also there's there's things you can do. I mean, how often, and we're going to get into these in details, but I think it's time to give you an example. I had a client just two years ago that they were no longer getting the child tax credits. You know, it was one of those things where they're like, gosh, I don't get the child tax credit anymore, and that is such, that's a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax reduction. What could I do? And I was like, well, how? what are you doing on your, your 401k at work? Oh, I'm doing Roth. And I'm like, well, I love Roth, but you might be the exception to the rule that we might want to do traditional contributions so we can lower your taxable income, get that dollar for dollar tax savings, and it pays off. It's the same thing when, when we, we're looking at, you know, AMT. A lot of you guys oh, yeah. hit alternative minimum tax and you start thinking, well, gosh, you know, 
I hate that I'm having to pay this alternative tax, which takes away my mortgage interest deduction, my state income tax deduction, all those unemployed reimbursed and employee expenses and so forth. You can go and, and figure out if there's a way, maybe through 401k contributions, through health savings accounts, that you could minimize where your taxes fell and you'd be okay. Same thing for, for our very successful clients who have problems with the new Medicare tax. You know, once you get over that $250,000 threshold, there's now a new 3.8% oh, yeah. tax that kicks in. And a lot of people, you need to figure, understand what is going on so you can try to, to see if you, if there's some gamesmanship, legal gamesmanship, I must mention. To, to minimize those those problems. And maybe you didn't know that you lost the child tax credit, or maybe you didn't know that you were in the alternative minimum tax, or maybe you didn't know you were getting hit with a Medicare surcharge. But if right. you review your turn and you see that you did have those unfortunate circumstances, there are some things you can do now to kind of try to fix that for 2016. And it'll make you a, a better educated taxpayer, too. So let, let's jump in this. Let's look for the tax savings first. So the first things I want to talk about is how can we get you in a lower Tax bracket. Oh, I first like lower thing, tax brackets. Now, there, there's two things. We, when we talk about the first thing, and I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag in the fact that your retirement savings is the biggest legal loophole that the government still leaves open for you. And why do they leave this huge loophole open? It's it's not because these guys are super generous. It, the reason is is because they know, gosh, if we can make sure our citizens are as financially independent as possible. You know, maybe we won't have to have as many programs that yeah, they, sure. they're out there feeding off of. So they give you a tax incentive to try to save for yourself. They actually let you save money if you want to take it as a traditional account. Like if you have a 401k or a 403b or a 457, you can do it traditionally where they give you a, a, a lower your taxable income for every dollar that you put into the retirement plans. But they change that, you know, a little over a decade ago, they actually started adding what's called Roth options to a lot of these plans if your employer elected to jump in and allow the Roth option. And that lets you get the tax savings through tax-free growth. So you're probably sitting out there listening going, okay, Brian, so what do I do? Do I do traditional where I get a current tax deduction or do I do Roth where I get completely tax-free growth for the future? Right. Here's the answer. I always tell people that it depends on which tax bracket you're in. If you're in the 25% or lower bracket, mm-hmm. you ought to, especially if you're young, sure. load up that Roth. Because, man, is it great to get you some tax-free growth, especially for my young clients. I mean, you think about it. You put $10,000 into a Roth account. You know, it turns into 60000 by the time you retire. That $50,000 of account growth is completely tax-free. That's that's tremendously powerful. So a lot of people then say, well, Brian, where is the 25% bracket? Here's the numbers for 2016. For single taxpayers, it's the 25% bracket is $37,650 all the way up to $91,150. So as long as you make less than $91,000, you probably, especially if you're younger, want to consider going with the Roth option. So, Brian, just to make sure, that taxable income you just threw out, 91000 that's like what my salary is, or that's like taxable income that, that that's goes That's taxable that? after deductions. Oh, okay. That's so. after you take either your standard deduction, itemized deductions, as well as your exemptions. The The second thing, married filing jointly. If you're a married couple out there and you're trying to figure out, well, do I do Roth? Do I do, you know, traditional... That that twenty five percent bracket is seventy five thousand three hundred all the way up to one hundred one hundred and fifty one thousand nine hundred. So somewhere around one hundred fifty thousand dollars or less, you you might want to consider the Roth 
401k, Roth 403b it, it, for your employer plan. Now, once you cross into that 28% bracket, which is that threshold for single people over 91,000, for, for married people, it's um, $151,000. Once you cross that threshold, I think there's a bigger benefit to taking the current tax deduction. And here's my reason why. You need to understand the motivation. My thought is, is that when you retire, your income is probably going to be substantially lower um, because you're going to be either living off of your your investments and Social Security and some other things. You're not going to have this W-2 wage income coming in as much as you did when you were working. Right. Since you likely will have a lower income, then you'll be in a lower tax bracket. So let's go ahead and take advantage of that tax-deferred growth where you get a tax deduction today. Then when you pull it out, yes, you will have to pay income taxes, but you're going to be hopefully at a much lower tax bracket because your income is lower in retirement. So that's why I have that 25% threshold in there. So what I heard is for a married couple, if you're making, I'm going to say around $150,000 below, you should do the Roth contributions on your 401k. But you said there were some unique circumstances like with child tax credit and does it, or doesn't that, that there's some effect that affects it somewhere in there? Yeah. And if, 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 if I fast forward, cause I have that note on here, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I still think it's okay. Here's the thing with child tax credits, guys. What, if you're a married couple and your income is between 110 to $130,000, that's the phase-out range. It starts going away between $110,000, and then it's completely gone by the time you get to $130,000. So if you're close to that $110,000 threshold and you're not taking advantage of traditional 401k contributions, you very well may want to consider it because you could wipe out a lot of your income, taxable income, and take advantage of those dollar-for-dollar credits. So that's a, that's a great point, Bo, that you brought that forward, um, just to even consider that. Before I get through to some of those other income thresholds, because I do want to cover that, is because you, you do phase out of, you know, child tax credits, student loan interest, real estate losses. I want to go through those, but one last thing. I want to make sure you're investing in a tax efficient manner. Look at your tax return and see how much of my investment portfolio was generating ordinary income. And when I talk about ordinary income, I'm talking about, talking about primarily interest income. I'm talking about coupon payments from a, a bond. I mean, it's it's things like that that you might want to consider, wait a minute, if I'm paying ordinary income taxes, I'm not getting a, a favorable tax rate like I do on dividends or on long-term capital gains, why don't I roll some of my bond exposure or my fixed income into retirement accounts where they they can grow tax deferred. I'm going to pay ordinary income tax rates when I pull it out anyway. So why don't we go ahead and push that income towards those retirement accounts so that I'm as tax efficient as possible? A sidebar also on this, because it's not always about just how much you're paying in taxes and where you put it. It's thinking about the incentives that the government gives you. Roth accounts. Roth accounts grow completely tax-free. So what type of assets do we want to kind of lean towards putting in there? I I favor growth assets. If you can put growth assets into your Roth accounts, it gives you the maximum opportunity to kind of stick it to the man legally. And that that's a good thing. And I think it's so funny cuz we see this all the time. It's pretty it's pretty easy to see how people get into this situation, right? So somebody maybe you take an online risk profile questionnaire and it says, "Hey, you should be 60% stocks, 40% bonds." And so all right, in my Roth IRA, I go buy 60% stocks and 40% bonds. In my right. taxable account, I buy 60 and 40. Now, my 401k, I do 60 and 40. That works, and your allocation gets to the right point, but your asset location, I think what you're saying, just isn't quite 
as good as it could be. Yeah, we like we like asset location. We like tax diversification. There's all kind of benefits you can play on on the asset location side of things. Um, transitioning now to those thresholds and those limits. Just to recap, child tax credit for married couples phases out between one ten to one thirty. You also need to be thinking about student loan interest. Um, for married couples, student loan interest deduction goes away at $160,000. So if you, you know, that might give you incentive. If you're one of those people, you're like, do I pay off my student loan or do I keep taking this tax deduction? If your income is quickly approaching for a married couple, $160,000, it might be, you know, now's the time to go ahead and knock out that student loan interest because you're not, you're just not getting as much of a tax benefit as you once were. Real estate losses. This is one bow. Oh my goodness. When you, when you talk to people and you ask them, Hey, if you want to get into the rental real estate game, what's, what's the huge benefit with doing that? Oh, I get all kinds of write-offs. Man, it all is going to just generate tons of tax benefits for me and my family. What you, what they don't tell you is that, okay, maybe it might generate some tax because here's the thing. When you buy rental property, typically, especially if you're financing it with a mortgage, you're not going to generate gains typically right out of the chute mm-hmm. because you've got you've got mortgage deduction, you've got you know your real estate taxes, you got your repairs, you've got the management company, you've got you know depreciation. There's all kind of things that are going in, so you don't see income immediately. You typically do see some losses. So you think, well, okay, well, if I'm generating a tax loss, I'll at least get to take that, right? I get right. to take it off on yeah. my taxes. So all this money I'm spending on this rental property. Save At least we'll, I'll save it on my taxes. And that might be the case, but only if you make less than $100,000. And only if you actually are considered an active participant with your rental real estate. Here's the thing, guys. Rental real estate is a naturally passive activity. It's considered passive losses, and that's what's killing you and, 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 and kind of capturing you, is that there's passive loss rules that phase out between, well, they, they just don't let you take passive losses. Right. Um, you know, if, if you are generating losses, they make you carry them forward. They do have an exception for real estate. And this is why I think it got such a great, you know, perception out there is because it was marketed that, yes, passive losses are limited unless you're a real estate investor, and then you can actually take up to $25,000 a year of losses if you're an active Participant, right. meaning that you actually are, are involved in the day-to-day management of keeping that rental property a viable entity. Here's the problem, though. Like I said, between one hundred and one hundred fifty thousand dollars, it phases out. So if you make over one hundred fifty thousand dollars and you bought a beach condo and you think it's going to generate you a lot of tax savings, no, no, you're going to carry those. You're going to defer those losses until you actually sell the 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 the, the location. Um, some point in the future. And then, yes, you do get to take all those losses. They don't just disappear on you, but they kind of build up in the background, and then you don't get to take them until you sell the property or start generating an income, and then they can start knocking those losses down. But so understand those those limitations because it's it's not as good as everybody yeah. thinks it is. Do it because you think you're going to have appreciation potential, not necessarily so you can just generate taxes, um, tax savings. It's kind of like what we talk about. Don't let the tax tell wag the dog. That's right. You know, don't go invest in something just because you think it's going to be a great tax deduction. That's, that's a horrible reason to be investing in something. Um, I, I like to talk to people because there's two things that happen when you do your tax return. You either get a huge refund. Well, it's actually three things. You either get a huge refund 
or you have to pay a big chunk, mm-hmm. with maybe even some penalties, or you cut it just right. You get the Goldilocks where you, you nailed it and you're within $1,000 or a few hundred dollars of what you actually owed, whether it's a refund or, or, you know, or you had to write a check. Here's the thing. If you've got a huge refund, that sounds great. You're like, woohoo, tax time. Got you know, some, if got you, some money. If you watch the TV show, you watch shows at night, you would think that means that you need to go buy a new car. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen so many car dealerships that now volunteer to do your taxes. And it shows me that there's obviously an epidemic in our society where people think, you know what? Big windfall for my tax refund. Big windfall for Brian's lifestyle. That's not the way it's supposed to work, but it shows me that's what's going on. Yeah, because sure. you tell me in your area, if you, if you're listening to this and you go, it's true. Everybody is doing taxes at car dealerships. Now that's not a good use of, of these refunds. First of all, here's my, here's the thing that gets me about tax refunds. They're interest free loans to the government. Do, do you think the government needs your loan? It's always so funny. People think, Oh, I'm, Tax refund, I'm getting money from the government. No, no, that is your money. You're kind of getting your money back. You withheld that throughout the year. You overpaid, and now they're giving it back to you without a dime of interest. At least go get you 1% at one of these online savings accounts. So how do you fix that? Go ask your HR person for a new W-4 form. A W-4 form is the federal form that will allow you to adjust your withholdings. Here's the thing. If you want, if you want more withholding, then you need to do zero or one because that's basically tied into the number of exemptions that you're claiming on your tax return. The more exemptions you're claiming on your tax return, obviously the least, um, the less amount um, that they're going to withhold. So take that into account. So you might want to increase the number of exemptions that you're claiming on your W-4 form if, if you want to adjust that. Same thing if you had to pay a huge chunk of money to the government. W-4 is your solution. You can, you can adjust it by trying to figure out, do you do zero, one, two, three, or four? Um, it, it works that easily. So correct me if I'm wrong on this. So if I get a big refund, Brian, uh, the government got an interest free loan. Well, if I end up owing a big amount of tax at the end of the year, was I able to to take an interest-free loan for the government? <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. No. You know, there's, there's all these things called underpayment penalties that, oh, no, if you don't because we had this discussion last week, Bo. You're like, you know, if you're self-employed, you just pay it at the end of the No, no. You just have to let pay it roll. It, you have to pay it as you earn it. I mean, they, they make you. That's why you have to make quarterly estimated tax payments. Um, as you earn the income, they're going to track you know, how much you made in each of the quarters. And if you didn't pay in enough, they hit you what's co- with what's called an underpayment penalty. Here's a little trick, by the way, if you're tax preparing and you got an underpayment penalty, go and calculate when you actually earn that income and when the actual payment was made. You might be able to do this tactic called annualizing your income, meaning you actually tell the IRS when money was earned throughout the year so that they don't just assume the worst case scenario and assume you earned that money in January and they ran you a full penalty for the entire year. If you maybe got a big bonus payment or a big windfall payment from a client on some some side hustle money you had in the month of December, that's going to have a much less penalty impact than if you earned that money in January and never paid any income taxes. So it's just one of those things that, and that's actually a great lead into if you are working in a self-employed format, meaning that you have a side hustle, some side income, or you're working directly as a self-employed person, some of the biggest things you can do to lower your taxes are SEP IRAs and solo 401ks. Guys, these things are incredible. 
the difference between SEPs and, and solo 401ks, SEPs mean all the funding of the retirement account is coming directly from the employer or the, the company that you have. If you do a 401k component, meaning a solo 401k for a small business, now you also get to do what's called salary deferrals. You get to lower how much you pay into, you know, from your wages and so forth. It's a salary deferral, no different than big Fortune 500 companies, and you can do up to $18,000 a year as a salary deferral. Um, if you're over 50, you can add another $6,000, taking it all the way up to $24,000 a year. But listen to this. If you have good income from your from your, your self-employment and so forth, you can take up to 25% essentially profit sharing from what you pay yourself and put that towards the retirement plan, essentially the employer contribution, all the way up to if you add the 18000 plus the employer up to $53,000. And how much can I put into a SEP IRA? You can put in, you can still put in $53,000. The difference is, is that the salary deferral can go be up to 100% of your compensation. So, I mean, or you can pay yourself, um, it just makes it a lot easier to get it through from the salary deferral then with a, a SEP, you're, you're basically going to be doing 25% of whatever you paid yourself. So you're going to have to push it up much higher. The other thing is I like about the salary deferrals about doing the solo 401k versus the SEP. The $6,000 catch-up once you're over 50 does not count in that $53,000. It is completely outside of that, so it's an added benefit. So you can actually get up to $59,000 into the retirement plan. But, Brian, before I went out on my own and decided, decided to do my own side hustle, I worked for a major corporation. I had a 401k and... They had an HR department, and this thing cost thousands of dollars a year. How much is it going to cost me to set up a solo 401k? Well, that's why I set these things up. Because, look, it does still cost money to run a traditional 401k that requires the annual 5500 form and so forth, but and all the testing. But the government structured these things, and now you can just go on Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab, TD Ameritrade. You can set up a solo 401k. You're not required to file the 5500 or do any of the, the compensation or other testing until the accounts are worth at least $250,000. So it, it's it's pretty close to, to being now free. So that's why it's, it's a great thing to go out there and look at. Obviously, let me say this, because I went through a bunch of stuff. It gets a little more complex. It might make sense to either talk to um, an investment advisor or a CPA or somebody. When you get to that point that you can put away fifty-three dollars sure. to $59,000 because of your self-employment income, you're obviously doing something right that you have that level of savings, that it's better to measure twice, cut once, sure. and get some outside help on it. Um, let's, tr- let's switch gears and talk about maximizing the deductions. Instead of lowering income, let's talk about how do we increase those deductions. The first things I put on it, this is always the easy stuff. I, I did tax preparation for 16 years. Um, here's the thing I always used to do to try to pay for my, my tax preparation fee. I would immediately jump over to the charitable deduction side and, and look at it to see if they were walking away from some free deductions. Guys, any one of you can probably go look in your closet right now and find a shirt, a blouse, a pair of pants that just don't fit right, or maybe it is this tacky, tacky plaid that you no more intend to wear than a man in the moon. Donate that stuff. What It's always amazing what, you know, and I'm going I'm to make the transition. Charity is different than a yard sale, but whenever I've been at yard sales, I'm right. always amazed... Who in the world will want to buy this junk? Mm-hmm. And there's always people that show up. I think it's the same way when you donate some of these things that you think aren't good anymore for you. 
is going to be another person's lost treasure yep. that they're going to enjoy. So go ahead, clean that closet out. You'll get a charitable benefit benefit from it, meaning that you're helping somebody, and you get a tax deduction because the government's going to let you take up to $500 without filing the separate forms. It's really easy. Go clean the closet and make that happen. The other thing, I'm always surprised those little taxes that we pay sometimes with your tag fees mm-hmm. in your in, yep. in your community, or maybe you know if you've got all these little local t- taxes and other fees, those things are deductible. So make sure you're putting that as an itemized deduction. Is that you're taking advantage of some of those personal property taxes? That maybe if you bought a car, and you, maybe some of those sales taxes might be deductible. There's all kind of ways that you can try to find way you know d- additional deductions that you didn't take advantage of. Um, the last thing we've been telling a lot of people about this one: if you work. And, and you have insurance through a high deductible plan. Oh yeah, this is a good health one. savings accounts. Health savings accounts let you take a front line, a front page deduction. It's actually an adjustment to income. And here's here's the numbers for single a single filer, or I should say a single um, covered person on a high deductible plan. You can put away up to three thousand three hundred and fifty dollars. Now, if you're over 50, you can add another $1,000 to that, up to 4350 bucks. For a family, it's 6750 So for people who are over 50 years of age, you can actually put $7,750 into an HSA, and that's going to allow you the opportunity to, to, to lower your income directly by that. And here's the great thing about HSAs also. You build up that account to where you exceed your out-of-pocket maximum for a year or two, you can now go set up an investment account for that health savings account. And you can let that money grow that you keep contributing each year and treat it kind of like a secondary retirement account for health care. You know, a lot of people think they're going to retire early, but they don't know how they're going to pay for health care while they're 55 to 60 years of age. Let that health savings account be there in the background, help you pay for some of those medical expenses that when, when things are very expensive. Can you use HSA dollars to pay health insurance premiums? Only if it's COBRA type coverage. You can't pay, you can't make you know insurance payments from an HSA unless it's it, it, COBRA is the exception to that rule. Um, let me let me talk to this because I know we're running out of time on things, but open enrollment, a big planning opportunity that comes up every year, probably right around this time because it's usually right after tax season is a lot of your big companies will have your open enrollment with your your human resources department. Make sure you understand how flexible spending accounts work. Um, you know, it's one of those things you, you can set up a flexible spending account through your employer that helps you pay for dependent care benefits yep. up to $5,000 a year. You can also structure it where you're going to save on, you know, your co-pays, all your insurance costs like your co-pays, maybe you want to go get LASIK surgery. There's all kind of your dental bills. There's all kind of great things you can do with a flexible spending account that's a benefit to you to you and your employer. Here's why people love flexible spending accounts. That money comes out pre-tax. But here's the other cool thing that comes out about it. It's also not subject to Medicare and Social Security tax. So you immediately save in addition to the income taxes you save, you save the 7.65% for Medicare and Social Security. And your employer gets that savings too. So that's why they all love it. It's a win-win for everybody. So consider looking at the flexible spending accounts. I also had a note on here to talk about disability insurance. Oh, yeah. A lot of you guys, you need to understand, and I hate to get into the details because that's what we are getting into the weeds on, on, on all this. When you're structuring your disability insurance, even with your employer, make sure that money's being funded with after-tax dollars because here's the thing, and that sounds counterintuitive. Because yeah, but, Brian, I can I can put it in 
pre-tax and save money on my you taxes. You get a tax deduction, and that's what you think. It, it, that's why I say it's counterintuitive. Is it, it seems like it would be great to get a current tax deduction, but here's where the benefit with disability policies are. If you make after-tax premium contributions, if you ever became disabled, your benefit that you receive is completely tax-free. So your your premiums are probably not that expensive. You need to go look at disability insurance. But say you have a benefit of $6,000 a month coming in. How much more powerful and how much further will that money go if it's $6,000 that's after tax or tax-free versus if you get that $6,000 and you know, oh, no, 25% of this is going to evaporate because it's going to the federal government for taxes. No, if you pay it with after-tax premiums, it will be six thousand dollars that your family can actually use for the benefit. That's huge, and and that's and that's what the whole purpose of it is. Um, here's the last thing I put on here, just to kind of close out the show. Does your tax return tie into your current vision plan? And and what I mean by that, I know that's somewhat abstract, but I like to I kind of like to take our very financial, very analytical show into the abstract because this is the time where you need to look at your tax return and do that thirty thousand foot view of where you are in your life. I mean, look at your look at look at what's going on. Was your W2 income what you had hoped? Is your are you on the career path? I mean, go look at the last I love how when you are using like a TurboTax or even when you're working with a professional tax preparer, sometimes they will have a, a page in there that will compare the last two, three, four years of taxes. So you can see where how your income's gone up. You can see where your deductions are. Use that as kind of a roadmap or an executive summary dashboard to say yeah, my income's going up pretty good. I'm a, I, I think this is a viable career. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. If it's not and you feel like you're in a dead end, figure out is this the time I need to make some changes on things. The other thing that, that I always tell people is look at your financial life and ask yourself, am I too complicated for no benefit? Um, I, I'm always amazed at the people who have eight different bank accounts so they could get a little bit higher interest rate on a CD here, and they're driving all over town trying to keep up with They're getting a lot of 1099s. Is that really adding a benefit, or should you simplify your life? Same thing. I've seen it all the time where people think that they're going to be able to deduct all these losses on their tax return because of this rental property, and then they get in there and they figure out, wait a minute, Rental property only works when I actually have renters in the rental property. <laughs> you know, and, and they get, after they get the third person, and this is a true story, a, a person that's in there changing car engines in the living room. I mean, I kid you not, I had a client who, when they went in there and, cause they had torn up the cabinets, but they also found out they had oil everywhere, and all that they can assume is that they were basically disassembling engines in the middle of the living room, you know, so they could rebuild cars. That stuff, it gets old really sure. quick. And you start asking yourself, am I getting the financial benefit? Don't read that and say, Brian's against rental. No, I'm just saying some people sometimes complicate their financial life and don't get a benefit. Reviewing your tax return is the year you can kind of say, yeah, this is maybe more complicated than the benefit I'm, I'm getting from it. How about those people, Brian, who have, uh, they have to put in their capital transactions, you know, their buys and sells, and they've got, 20 pages worth of transactions in a year in a taxable account. You know, and, and fortunately, the custodians try to make your life easier. But it is one of those things where if you're a day trader or you're doing something and you generate what looks like a small encyclopedia of all your trading activity and you find out that you really didn't even make money, maybe even lost money, you might be not generating a lot of benefit for yourself financially. And to a degree, you're increasing your tax preparation fees. That, that's a disaster, guys. So, so use your chance to, to look at your, your, you know, where you are. 
Does it tie into your vision plan? But also, does it reflect where you want yourself to be from a financial standpoint? And I think that there are a lot of benefits. I know I'm a, the exception to the rule. I, I get excited about tax season to a degree, and that, oh, yeah, that's, you're, that, you're the that's odd. But I think that there are some things that you can definitely get a benefit from just going back and reviewing where you've been and where you're at with your income and your personal financial life through the tax return. So hopefully, guys, this wasn't, you know, it's one I always get when you get in these deep, deep, especially tax issues. I get excited about taxes, but I know that I'm the exception on on that. But it really is beneficial when we jump into these. But overall, I hope that you guys get that that benefit that helps you restore order to your financial chaos, takes it to the next level. And I want to kind of echo what Bo said earlier. We couldn't do this without your buy-in. Um, we are the little engine that could. This was a passion project. And just thank you, thank you for all that you guys have given us, all the new clients we picked up from the, the podcast. It's incredible. And and I just couldn't have done it without all the support and all the great emails. So write the show if you if you want to connect with us. You can write me directly at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.com, or Mr. Bo Hansen, B-O, at moneyguy.com. Guys, We'll talk to you in about two weeks, and um, I probably won't be talking about taxes this time. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.